Well, you can pick your crisis. And there are many to choose from in this era, it seems like. And that's where we'll start this conversation. We had the pandemic, and that was a big one, right? Um, soaring inflation, wildfires. I mean, you name it. There's, you know, one thing after another, it seems like. It really does. Uh, truly, it's a trying time, to be sure. Now, to make matters even worse, we as a society can't really agree anymore on what the real issues are. We end up fighting over often along political lines, um, over things that really aren't the issue that we need to try and solve. They're sort of, I'm not going to say they're distractions because they're part of it, but they're not the core of it. And like it or not, the, the real issue, the real problem gets buried in those fights about things that like I say, are part of the conversation, but not the be-all and end-all, not where we should be focused. And there was a fascinating piece uh, in the Globe and Mail um, called When It Comes to Problems Plaguing Our World, Focusing on Simple Explanations uh, Might Be Part of the Problem. Dr. Michael Lawrence, one of the authors, a PhD fellow and polycrisis project research lead at the Cascade Institute, joins us now to, to walk us through it. Dr. Lawrence, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Hi, Shay. Thank you for having me. Uh, a great piece, by the way, and, and I think it's a really important conversation. So um, let's start first with, I, I'm in my 50s, and, and you know, throughout my life, there's always been a calamity going on somewhere, but <laughs> it really does seem like right now we have a remarkable number of them happening mm -hmm. one after the other. Is it true, or is this just, you know, a par for the course, or is it really heightened right now? Well, I think it's very true, and as you mentioned, one of our major uh, research projects on which I work at the Cascade Institute is called the Polycrisis Project, and that's a term that's become used more and more in the last few years in sort of a recognition that a lot of things are going wrong all at once, and it's not just a coincidence. We're seeing an increasing number, amplification, escalation of, an, of various crises from the, the pandemic to, to war in Russia to the climate crisis. But we're also seeing an increasing number of interconnections between these crises crises where uh, each might be sparking another crisis or one might be making another worse or when they happen together, their overall impact is much worse than it would be if we if those crises were not so deeply interconnected, if they were happening in, in isolation. Yeah, and it, it can seem overwhelming. It really can. Now, in, yes. in the piece you co-wrote for the Globe Mail, you make the essential point, and this is what we'll talk about. Um, we too quickly and too easily move off of the core issue, the real issue, and we end up arguing about something that you call trigger fixation. Can you explain that concept to us? Absolutely. So when we look at crises, whether they're at the national scale or at the global scale, we have found it very, very useful to distinguish between uh, the triggers or what we would think of as the, the proximate causes, the most immediate causes in the case of wildfires, the, the lightning strikes or the, the reckless campfires that actually set off the wildfires. So we we have those in one on the one hand, but it's also important to recognize that those sorts of trigger events are only so disastrous because there are growing uh, stresses in those systems that set those systems up for calamities of greater greater scale, and those tend to be uh, more slow moving processes, things like changes in urbanization planning, things like climate warming, um, but. 
it's those stresses where we really need to address a lot more of our, our attention, but it's also those stresses that are a lot more difficult for politicians and citizens to, to A, understand, and B, actually do something about. So what ends up happening in many cases is we end up focusing only on those triggers, on those short-term events, those proximate causes, without taking uh, adequate consideration and action against those underlying uh, stresses that are making everything everything worse. And, and you break those stresses down into three specific areas, right? Vulnerabilities, pressures, and contradictions. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I can elaborate on that sure, a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah, so increasing vulnerabilities are things like uh, increasing exposure to the sorts of triggers that might escalate into... Uh, major crises. So, uh, for example, with climate warming, we're seeing uh, more and more animals forced from their normal uh, habitats, just as uh, pressures like population growth are pushing urban areas and humans into those particular habitats. So you get this increasing zone of contact between humans and animals that would normally not uh, be in touch with one another, be in contact with one another. And that creates an increased vulnerability that some sort of virus or pathogen will cross the animal-human barrier to produce a pandemic like uh, like COVID-19. And so we see those long-term stresses making those sort of what we call zoonotic diseases much more likely to occur. And of course, the fact that we, we are still so very globally interconnected, we're vulnerable to those uh, pandemics spreading very, very rapidly. Now, the last uh, type of stress that we uh, that we didn't talk about so much in the op-ed, but we talk about in, in some of our papers, is this idea of contradictions. Um, a, a good example there is the way so many of our economic systems are really set up in ways that favor private capital accumulation, favor exponential growth, and are, as a consequence, and because they're not concerned with, say, environmental and social externalities, they're really undermining some of the environmental and social conditions on which those economic systems depend. And that we're, we're seeing uh, increasing uh, rise of, of political extremism, uh, of populist movements, and these sort of reactions to uh, from on the part of those who perceive themselves as being left out of the games of the economy. And of course, the way we have so much of the, the world uh, economy set up without adequate carbon pricing means that it's basically undermining a lot of those conditions on which it depends. And like you so say, those are, those are big things. Those are big, tough, yeah. difficult, systemic, funded, foundational changes that would need to occur. So it's much easier, especially if you're a politician and you're looking for the quick hit, the quick fix to point to something that is, um, you know, instantaneous and it's reactionary and it's right there in front of us. It's not the real problem, but it's something we can talk about. That's, that's the process that we fall into. I, absolutely. Uh, we can see it in Ontario, uh, more recently in Alberta, where I think uh, Danielle Smith is really launching this sort of, I guess, investigation looking for the culprits in setting some of yeah. these fires, yeah. which I mean, if they're 
I mean, it's great to hold them accountable. I'm sure people should be more responsible, but it's because they really don't want to focus on things like climate change, on changing the nature of our energy systems. And it's much easier politically to find somebody to blame to actually look at some of these deeper processes, which are, in, to some extent, and in a very uneven way, we're all part of. Yeah. Is there, are there any examples, are there any governments that are sort of showing that level of maturity of saying, okay, this is hard work, it's not glamorous, but it's actually what needs to be done? Is anybody working on it in, in, in the way that you're talking about? I think there is increasing recognition across the board that, that things need to be done. There are some things we can point to in Canada in that it's uh, public safety has just launched its first ever national risk assessment. We're seeing the growth of these sort of adaptation plans, but we need much more action much, much sooner. Because as you say, these things are very, very difficult and the types of changes that are involved might sometimes mean resettling communities or changing uh, urbanization plans. Uh, there could be massive amounts of spending. These are things that uh, tend to garner a lot of political opposition, mm-hmm. and these are changes on a scale that's really not well calibrated to the electoral cycle. Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, it, it's not easy work to do. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for being here today. I really do appreciate the insight. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.